Whether you're selling to businesses or consumers, you want to build a brand. In fact, a recent survey found that improving brand awareness was the number one goal for content marketers. Not generating more sales, not increasing the number of leads, building brand awareness. You want people to know you, of course. You want people to love your brand. You want people to associate your brand with happy feelings. And of course, we all want to be top of our customers' minds when they think about spending money. But most online brand marketing feels really wasteful. Things like advertising for impressions or digital PR, but measured in online readership or trying to measure customer sentiment on social media. The challenge with brand marketing is how you actually track it know that it's working and make sure that it is making money. If you want to build a brand online today, I'm going to show you a plan that you can follow based on our analysis of some of the best brand builders in the planet, on the planet in fact. And by the way, the model I'm going to show you is quite counterintuitive. It's the total opposite to most brand marketing plans. We know this because we're often asked to prepare brand marketing plans based on very strange concepts. This plan will make you a lot more money because honestly, most brand marketing is total garbage. Let's do this. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm CEO at Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency. We help our leads and clients get more sales from their websites, and that includes building their brands. That's exactly what this podcast is here to help you do as well. Get more leads and sales from your website. But we're not going to be talking so specifically about the sort of direct response strategies that we usually use. Today, we're going to be talking about building brand awareness. Now, before we go into how to build a brand through digital, let's talk about brand advertising more generally, because it's really important that we make this distinction. If we think about the heroes of brand awareness advertising, and I'm thinking of stuff like the Goodyear blimp, you know, the Coca-Cola Christmas trucks or football shirt sponsors. On the surface, these things generate huge exposure, right? It's not Christmas until you see the Coke trucks. But does it really make you buy more Coke? Does the Goodyear blimp really make you choose Goodyear tires over Continental tires next time you're choosing tires? And that's the trouble with all of this brand advertising stuff is that it can tend to just blend into the noise. And it can also be surprisingly ineffective. Let's take football shirts as another example. So companies pay tens, even hundreds of millions of dollars to put their name on the front of sports team kits. According to Brand Finance, Emirates Airlines spends 139 million euros to slap their logo on the shirts of three European football clubs. The trouble is, fewer than 49% of these clubs' fans can even recall who the sponsor is. That's not 49% of these clubs' fans choosing to fly Emirates Airlines. That's recall. They can't even recall who the sponsor is. And that brings us to our first issue with brand advertising more generally. It's that we can mistakenly assume that just because people see our company's name, that it means that they'll automatically purchase or be more inclined to purchase. Now, brand advertising hasn't always been as kind of hit and hope as this. And I believe actually there's an argument that says brand advertising has got worse over the years. In fact, let me give you an example. If we take one business that has done brand advertising consistently over the last 40 years, and in fact, over the last sort of 250 years that it's been in existence, Lloyds Bank. So in the UK, Lloyds Bank is one of the, uh, the biggest and most prominent banks. 
And in the 1980s, they would run ads in newspapers, which would list the benefits of their banking. By the way, if you want to see the examples of all of these ads, then you can go on our YouTube channel and uh, you can see the video version of this where I actually show you the ads. But I've got an example in front of me in an ad that Lloyd's was running in the 80s in a magazine. And it's brand advertising because it's talking about Lloyd's Bank. It's clearly communicating. There isn't necessarily a call to action to drive you to do anything but it's very different to the sort of brand advertising we see today. The headline is only Lloyds Bank offers new students all these benefits. And then it lists a whole bunch of benefits, stuff like 35% off The Economist, choice of a half price student rail card or a five pound book token. So this is benefits driven copy and Lloyds Bank has identified that it wants to sign up students because people very rarely change their bank. So if it can get people at the student time, then you've got a good chance of keeping them for life and, and getting the other uh, you know, the other purchases that people make through their banks. So that's where Lloyd's was out with its brand advertising in the 1980s. Now in the 1990s, the increased prominence of TV advertising, Lloyd's has gone onto TV and they've got some ads um, involving prominent well-known actor at the time and the actor is meeting a Lloyd's bank representative and they're talking about the benefits of Lloyd's. Someone's even mentioned in the comments on YouTube a bank advert that advertises its service rather than the dreadful vanity spectacles we get today. They're a step ahead but they're absolutely spot on. So this ad is using the credibility of the actor to build uh, credibility with Lloyd's and it's talking about the benefits and all that type of stuff. So that was the 1990s. Now by the 2010s, Lloyd's wasn't taking this approach anymore. They had magazine ads that were colorful and we're looking at one that says getting Britain's savers closer to their dreams. And that's really it for copy. There's a small piece of copy that says we help 6 million people save what they've always dreamed of. How can we help you? But there's no specific benefits about Lloyd's at all. There's a picture of two people in a hot air balloon and that's it. So we've lost the USPs, we've lost the benefits of banking with Lloyd's, and we've just got a very broad message of getting Britain savers closer to their dreams. You've got no idea what sort of business this could be referring to at all. Then eventually, Lloyd's brand advertising goes beyond, you know, USPs, beyond implied benefits, just a pure farce, where we have the famous by your side ads. These are beautiful cinematic ads showing these galloping horses galloping through towns and villages and factories and eventually these galloping horses are galloping on the beach and there's children running around and you know there is absolutely no connection with the bank i think the connection that they're trying to make is that the bank is stable and it's been here through time and that is represented by the horse but there is absolutely no reason <laughs> presumably customers who loved horses at the beach, ditched their savings accounts at rival banks en masse and went to sign up for new accounts. That's the only thing I can imagine that Lloyds were hoping here because as, a, as an exercise to convince people to switch banks, which is a very difficult thing to do, it's completely pointless. Um, and in fact, if we look at uh, the total global value of assets by Lloyds Banking Group since 2010, since they started aborting their sensible advertising approach, it's just a story of decline. Okay. And this is how brand advertising has sort of gone over the last 20, 30 years. It's gone from here's our brand and here's why you should buy from us to here's our brand and here's a celebrity that uses us and this is why to here's our brand and horses, right? 
and it's utter garbage. So that's my first exhibit in the case that brand advertising has got significantly more rubbish over the last decade. I've got another exhibit for you. Now, one of my advertising heroes is David Ogilvy. David Ogilvy started an ad agency which he creatively called Ogilvy. And when David started Ogilvy, its ads were primarily like print ads, so they'd be in magazines and newspapers. And there's an example in the video, you might know it. Um, it's a Rolls-Royce ad and the headline is, at 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise in this new Rolls-Royce comes from the electric clock. And this is a fantastic brand building ad. It starts immediately with a benefit, i.e. this is an extremely quiet car at what was then a high speed. The ad goes on, it's, it's about 50% image, beautiful car, and then 50% copy. And this copy is itemized, so there's numbers. And then each number, there's uh, 13 different numbers and they're each talking about a specific benefit. Let me just read you one of them. Um, number two, every Rolls-Royce engine is run for seven hours at full throttle before installation, and each car is test-driven for hundreds of miles over varying road surfaces. So this is a brand advert in that it's and it's not trying to make you buy a Rolls-Royce right there and then. It's not a direct response advert. But what it's not doing is it's not just showing a picture of a Rolls-Royce and there's just a little Rolls-Royce logo and it's hoping that you make the connection, right? This isn't just horses. This is, here are 13 different reasons why this is a fantastic car. And it's very readable copy. Even if you're not in the market for a Rolls-Royce, you read this and you think, okay, fantastic. I now have a picture of Rolls-Royce being very well-made and you know an incredible product now this stuff doesn't happen by accident and ogilvy spent three weeks researching this ad talking to rolls-royce engineers visiting the factory and understanding the target customer he was obsessed with nailing the message to compel that customer to purchase when the time was right okay obviously because making the consumer want to purchase is kind of the point, brand advertising or not, right? Well, maybe not, because today if we look at what the Ogilvy agency produces, their focus is clearly more on winning Cannes awards by shocking people than actually selling products. For example, one of their best known campaigns, best known in the ad industry, not necessarily by consumers, is the Moldy Whopper. And this is a, uh, it's like a video of a Burger King Whopper going moldy and it is disgusting right you see this thing gradually going moldy and then in their billboard ads and stuff they have just pictures of the moldy whopper and the reason that this is supposed to compel you to purchase a whopper is that there are no artificial preservatives in the whopper now the trouble is they're not comparing this to anything so this isn't like a Big Mac versus a Whopper and the Whopper's going moldy and the Big Mac isn't. The other problem with this is that it looks absolutely freaking disgusting. So our association now, and I've been trying this out with people saying, do you want this? And they say, no, our association is now with the mold. It looks absolutely disgusting. I'm imagining that inside my stomach rotting. That is horrible. But that's not what Ogilvy cares about. They did not spend three weeks researching this and understanding what goes into the Whopper and what compels people to purchase. What they would have done is thought, how can we win awards? How can we be most creative, most shocking? And then that is the motivation for these ads, which is why they're so freaking weird. Another example from Ogilvy Philippines. This is a picture of two people and they are sort of hugging, they're naked, and one of them is covered in soap, right? I know what you're thinking already, great, I know clearly what this product is for. Their tagline on the ad is, do you know where this soap was used? Okay, so what do you think it's selling? Right, well it is selling soap. And then there's a little logo or a little picture of the product in the bottom in like two point invisible, 
which says Master Zero Facial Scrub. So I will leave you to judge how effective this would be at compelling you to immediately leave your long-term soap brand and go and buy this new soap. A picture of two people naked cuddling each other. One's covered in soap and it says, do you know where that soap was used? Now creative, yes. Shocking, yes. It's a pattern interrupt. It gets us to stop and look at the ad. But compelling a purchase, someone to buy? I tested this on my wife. I was like, babes, what product is this for? She couldn't even, she, looking at the ad, she couldn't work out what the product was for. She used to work, by the way, in marketing at Sara Lee. So she has an FMCG marketing background. She couldn't even work out what the product was being advertised. This is where brand advertising has got to. This stuff is created to win awards and make marketing teams feel clever. But the link between brand advertising and generating sales has got lost. So where does that leave us with today? Um, how do we use this stuff to build a brand for our companies online? Well, today, if you want to build a brand, you don't have to guess what sort of advertising will work. Back in the days of Ogilvy, they had to take a punt. They had to try and work out what is going to work. They had to write the Rolls-Royce ad. They spent the three weeks researching before they could test it and figure out if it was going to drive sales. Well, today they don't need to do that. And us marketers, we have data. We can track every click. We can track conversions. We can track view through conversions. We can see how long people are watching our videos. We can track our impressions. We can see what works and we can do more of it and we can see what doesn't and we can do less of it. So cut the horses out. This is why digital advertising spending has gone up. Digital is primarily direct response rather than brand advertising, whilst TV advertising has broadly stayed flat. TV advertising mainly being brand advertising. So, okay, we know digital is trending up. What has this got to do with building a brand? Well, what I'm showing you today is that by combining the best of old school brand building advertising, so not the moldy whopper, the Rolls Royce, not the horses galloping through the water, the why students choose Lloyd's TSB, we can take those brand building principles and apply them online. And that is what's going to build a huge brand today. In fact, that's what does build huge brands today. We can combine the best of the old school with the best of the new school. And we do this in a model called intent-based brand response, which I'm going to run you through in just a minute. Before we do that, by the way, if you need more leads and sales through your website, the team here at Exposure Ninja has a free service designed to help you get more sales through your site. It's called the free website and marketing review. And we basically run through your site. We have a look at what your competitors are doing. We look at what you're doing already to drive traffic and sales through your site. And then we rip it apart a bit. We show you what we could be doing better. We show you other areas that you could be focused on. We show you what your competitors are doing as well. We then map you out a bit of a plan that you can follow over the next six to 12 months to grow your business. So this service is completely free of charge. Um, all you need to do is go to ExposureNinja.com, click the big button to request it, and we'll get your review to you, usually within two to three working days. It's sent as a video, by the way, by email. Okay, so that's the Exposure Ninja review. Go to ExposureNinja.com to request your review. So what is this intent-based brand response thing that we're talking about that combines the best of old school brand advertising with the best of modern digital advertising. Well, intent-based brand response means three things and they combine the best of each of these. Firstly, our marketing efforts are tailored to the intent of the customer. Back in Ogilvy's day, if they wanted to sell to Rolls-Royce customers, they had to just target ads in magazines and they hoped that they were going to pick up some people that were thinking of buying. They hoped that they'd pick up people who are one day buying and they hoped that they were picking up people who were actually in the purchase cycle. They couldn't necessarily target people to the intent that they showed. 
Well, today we have that ability. So we can take the Ogilvy Rolls-Royce approach, but we can overlay intent behind it. So whilst our customers are researching, we can give them content to help them research us. We can give them those stories that help them build a relationship with our brands. When they're ready to buy, we can make sure the messages that we're hitting them with encourage them to choose us. So how do we do this? Let's talk through some examples. Let's talk through an example of a purchase that has a fairly long research phase. So Pampers. Pampers makes diapers, nappies, and obviously people who buy Pampers for the first time, probably nine months prior, didn't necessarily think that they were going to be buying Pampers. So someone who's about to have a baby, they have this period of time where they're understanding what's exactly involved and they're sort of building up their uh, their nursery of baby rubbish that they need to get before this thing is born. Now Pampers does a fantastic job of matching the intent of people at different stages in the buyer journey. So for example, they've got some content ranking for new baby checklist. Well, new baby checklist is someone who has their, their baby isn't here yet, but they want to get things ready. And Pampers has some great content on their site, which they've designed to meet people with this intent. And it's basically a checklist for all the things that you need to buy. And it, of course, it includes nappies or diapers. So there's a direct response component because you can sign up for their service and download the checklist and they'll let you know when the baby's gonna be ready and all this stuff. But there's also a brand building piece here because they want to be the one who educates you about this, this journey that you're going on. They want to set the narrative, which means they assume a position of authority. This is incredible brand building work, but it's done in a very savvy digital marketing way by ranking content that answers people's questions. And they don't stop here. This isn't just an SEO play. They've got all sorts of marketing tools which they use. So for example, there's a, a sleep coach that they have, which helps you get your baby sleeping through the night or helps you get better sleep or whatever. And this is an app that you can download and it's designed obviously for parents who are gonna be the Pampers customer, but it's a brand building thing. They want to associate Pampers with raising a child successfully. And of course they want the first party data so they can advertise to you. But this is sensible brand advertising. They're matching the intent of their customer. They're not just running an ad in, you know, a national newspaper. They're saying, where can we find people who have the intent that indicates that they might be ready to purchase? They've also got a whole range of different tools for pregnancy, like childbirth education classes, pregnancy due date calculator, follow my pregnancy notifier, baby birthday facts, baby name generators. So they've built all of this digital content, which is designed to be really useful to people in the buying cycle. And of course, in built into all of it is benefits driven copy about Pampers. So in their guide to choosing nappies, for example, they're explaining the different types of nappies or diapers that you can buy. And of course, all of these are different ranges within Pampers. So they're educating you, but they're educating you in their way. Really smart. So that's the first element of intent-based brand response is that we have to be focusing on the consumer intent and we have to be making content and adverts that match their intent as they move through the buyer journey. And by the way, if this seems a bit conceptual. Don't worry, I'm gonna break this down into a step-by-step -step approach that you can run through uh, towards the end. So the second component of intent-based brand response is that the marketing emphasizes the benefits of the brand. So this isn't just throwing up a Goodyear blimp over a sports venue and then just putting that on TikTok because there's no benefit there of Goodyear. This is just awareness. Just because I've seen you in the street doesn't mean that I automatically like you. 
right? And it's exactly the same here. We're not just like throwing up the brand, just sticking your brand name on the biggest thing that we can find. What we really want to do is make people fall in love with you by associating them with the benefits of buying you or, you know, of dealing with you. So a company that does really well with this is Oral-B. So Oral-B does loads of brand advertising. They do sell direct through their site or they have a site which they sell direct through, but a lot of the time Oral-B is driving through retail, just like Pampers. So what they have to do is they have to do brand awareness advertising, but they do it in a very specific way. They don't just show you a logo of Oral-B or show you a horse galloping through water with a toothbrush. Instead, they explain why their toothbrush heads are more effective. So they've got a whole bunch of Facebook ads, which again, you can see in the video version of this, which talk about the particular benefits of certain Oral-B toothbrushes. They show the thing close up. They show illustrations of it getting plaque off teeth. They've thought about what's most important to the customer. They're using very benefits-driven copy. They're making it easier for you to keep your teeth clean, basically. And as you look through these Facebook ads, you see stuff like, you know, this actively rebuilds tooth density and then there's an illustration of it improving your tooth density. They've taken one of their toothbrushes and they've pulled out all the components to show you how advanced it is, right? If you look through these ads, you feel yourself compelled to go and buy an Oral-B toothbrush because it's so clear that they are thinking of the things that are most important to me as a consumer. So whether you purchase today or not, they're giving you a story, they're giving you information and decision mechanism for next time you need to make a purchase, you're gonna think, okay, Oral-B, I remember they really care about this stuff. It all uses sciencey imagery. They're talking about things that are important to me like tooth density, removing plaque and you know removing sensitivity and stuff like that. So I'm gonna be much more likely to buy them than someone who's just like slapped their brand name in front of me a hundred times just because I'm familiar with it doesn't mean I'm going to be compelled to make a purchase. So that's the second aspect. Intent-based brand response. Intent-based is making sure we're matching the intent. The brand is making sure we're emphasizing the benefits, not just relying on pummeling people over the head with 100,000 impressions of your brand. And then there is the response piece. And response is about providing some sort of response mechanism, i.e. allowing people to click, buy, sign up for something, you know, that type of thing. And this is the stuff that Ogilvy and Lloyd's back in the day didn't have so easily because online we can make people want to purchase immediately. Even if you're driving to retail, like in the cases of Oral-B and in Pampers case, you can still collect customer data by offering them tools, by offering them memberships, by giving them help and checklists so that you can then advertise to them or you can let your uh, retailers know that you know, you're doing this work and you're remarketing to people and you're putting the energy in, which is obviously gonna make them more likely to sell your products. So all digital channels are tailored for allowing some sort of response mechanism. Don't make people hunt. Every example that we've looked at today has some sort of call to action. And of course, if you can have a call to action, then you obviously should. It allows you to uh, monitor the how effective each of your brand messages is, if nothing else, because you can see what motivates people to buy. Now, some of the fastest growing businesses today have utilized this hybrid intent-based brand response approach. For example, Gymshark, Lounge Underwear, all these direct-to-consumer brands, they are influencer-native. Their entire marketing strategy was built around influencer marketing using social influencers to provide the ad creative and the distribution. So this is the brand awareness. This is the intent because they know Gymshark, for example, they know that people who are into fitness are following fitness influencers. So that's how Gymshark gets in front of people with intent that you'll then notice that a lot of the um, a lot of the focus of these ads is about the features of the product, why you should buy a particular seamless garment or something has been uh, engineered to make you look a certain way, for example. That's the brand component. And then response, often these influencers will have a discount code or you can click through to go to Gymshark's page and purchase. 
So they're using this exact approach. They'll also have things like influencer collabs where they work closely with an influencer, which allows them to directly track the influence that that particular influencer has because they can see how well their collection is doing. On the B2B side, companies like HubSpot, they use video ads to showcase the features of their software and they use direct response techniques to collect interested prospects and give them things like downloadable guides and free trials. So they're doing the brand stuff in that they're running video ads, but they're doing it in a savvy way. They're not just like HubSpot makes you better. They're saying HubSpot is well designed. People are actually gonna use it. Here's how the thing works. Like here are benefits versus your current situation. But then they've got this intent piece um, where they're also running full funnel search marketing. So if you search for something like best CRM for small businesses, you'll see that HubSpot is ranking for that. HubSpot has some pay-per-click ads for that they're targeting the funnel, right? So this isn't just slap the name HubSpot on the side of some massive train. This is very targeted at what people are looking for at different stages of the funnel and hitting them with specific features and benefits. So it builds brand whilst generating sales, which is what we're really after. Okay, so how do we actually do this? How do you actually implement this? Well, there are four stages to intent-based brand response and building a campaign. The first is customer journey research. How do people decide what to buy, what you're selling? Where do they go to carry out the research and what's most important to them? You need to break your customer journey or journeys into multiple steps. For example, our agency Exposure Ninja. We know that marketing managers start researching a particular aspect of digital marketing. They might do this on YouTube or Google or Amazon. Now we have content that we have ranked on all of these different locations. They'll find something from Exposure Ninja on YouTube, on Google or on Amazon. We then have the response device. This is the free website a marketing review, which I've already mentioned. They then have a consultation with their team about their goals. We see if we can help them and they may become a client. So that's our customer journey. And that's how we've designed interactions to happen at different stages of intent to communicate our brand value. So we're building our brand, but also whilst generating response, right? What we're not doing is going to some conference and becoming the headline sponsor because we can't track that, we can't communicate our brand message, i.e. actually what makes us stand out, and we can't generate a response. That would be an ego-driven play to see our name on something big. That's not done from a revenue in versus revenue out standpoint. It doesn't make sense if viewed through that way. What is much more sensible is to put that money into something where we can target people at different intent stages and generate a response. We also have a buyer persona video which discusses how to find your customer journey. So we'll link to that in the description for this podcast episode. So that's the first step, customer journey research. We need to understand which stages your customer is gonna be going through in their buying process. The second step is key message identification. So this is about understanding the stories and messages that will most resonate with the target customer at each stage of the customer journey, okay? So you've got your different customer stages, then it's about understanding the key messages that will resonate with your target audience at each stage that they're going through. So what aspects of your products or service are most compelling and will stand out against competitors? At 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise you'll hear in this Rolls Royce is the clock ticking. The engine is tested for however many miles, right? It's that. Now, a tip here, modern day brand awareness advertising doesn't really look for key messages. Remember the, the newer Lloyds ad, getting Britain's savers closer to their dreams. They have not tested that, right? They have not tested to see if that is a compelling message that makes people fall in love with Lloyds. Because if they had tested it, they would not have run that ad. 
okay? So most modern brand advertising just relies on awareness. It just relies on reps, visibility. And by the way, ad agencies that love this type of stuff, they're happy to sell that because it's untrackable. So you can't prove that it does work, but you also can't prove that it doesn't work. That's why there's so much of this garbage. Also TV, newspaper, they're happy to sell these types of ads because again, they're not trackable. So you can't turn off your TV advertising because it doesn't work because you've just shown 6 million people some galloping horses through the through the sea. Well, how do you know that's not working, right? How do you know it's not working? It might be, it might be not, nobody has any idea. So rather than just being aware, we want prospects to desire what we're selling. So you can use compelling stories and you can give potential customers clear, compelling reasons for purchasing. And by doing this, we can increase the effectiveness of our marketing. Dyson is a fantastic example of a brand that does this. If you've seen any Dyson ads, you'll notice that they are always talking about the benefit of the product. Um, there's a fantastic example when they've, every time they launch a new type of vacuum, they explain what is different about that vacuum and how this vacuum has been completely reinvented. Right, this is their model. They show the, the graphics with the little cyclones going to show you why bagless is the key. And then everyone became bagless. And then they're talking about the motors or the lightweight or the battery performance and stuff like this. So they're always focusing on the benefits. They're giving you clear, compelling reasons about why you should choose a more expensive Dyson product over the cheaper copycats. And by the way, Dyson's audience can tell you why their products are superior and worth the higher price point. This is because Dyson's marketing repeats these stories whether it's something like removal of the bag, use of the cyclone to prevent loss of suction. It doesn't just rely on repetition of brand name. Dyson isn't just like on a billboard with the word Dyson and then the picture of someone smiling. They're explaining their product, right? They want you to love this thing. So yeah, figure out those messages, figure out what resonates with your audience. That's what you're going to be using in your marketing material. The third step, once you've got your, uh, your, your buyer journey, once you've got the key messages is the implementation. This is the creation of the ads, creation of the marketing assets and the content that's going to communicate these messages with the audience. So one of the trends that we see today, a great way of getting this stuff across to people is user generated content. Whether you've got Facebook ads or TikTok ads, any sort of ads that you're showing to people in a social media setting where they're used to user generated content. If you can use a UGC style, you tend to get better engagement with them. So again, in the video, I'll show you some examples, but you know the sorts of things, right? This is uh, people demonstrating a product in Facebook or TikTok ads. And it's not, it doesn't look like this like professionally shot thing. It's really under the radar. And that's exactly why it works because it flies under the radar. People don't immediately think, ah, this is an ad. I will ignore, I will go into ad ignoring mode. They go, oh, right, this is, you know, this is just another TikTok. This is just another reel on, on Instagram. I'm just going to watch it because that's kind of what I'm here for. So these ads tend to work much better and that sort of implementation can work really well. Basically, this is about creating the content that you're going to be showing to people at whatever stage of the customer journey you're targeting. And then the final stage is tracking and optimization. This is measuring the performance of each piece of marketing as much as you can. You may not be able to measure conversions accurately. If you can, of course, then awesome. But by analyzing engagement stats like engagement rate view percentage, you can start to work out which messages are resonating best with people. And this is where you get an advantage over people that just go for pure awareness, right? Pure awareness might be we're just going to run ads and we're only going to be targeting engagement like views or impressions or something like that. Whereas if you're running intent-based brand response and you do actually have a response mechanism, you can still track the engagement. You can still track how people are watching the video or you know how many people are seeing the ad, but you can also track the clicks. You can also track the conversions, whether those are going to sign up for your mailing list called something else or whether they're going through to purchase. 
The beauty of intent-based brand response is that because you're using compelling key messages in your ad creative, even if someone doesn't purchase there and then, you are giving them stories that they remember. Think the 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise you can hear in the Rolls Royce is the clock. That's something that you'll remember. It's a picture, it's a story that you'll remember forever. You remember Dyson's technology. Even though you're not shopping for a vacuum right now, next time you do, there might be a little grain in your head which says, ah oh, yeah, bagless uses cyclone, so avoids loss of suction, uses lightweight motors, blah, 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 and all of this stuff, and it combines to give you a reason that you say, all right, you know what, we're gonna get Dyson because it is the best. So you remember Rolls-Royce quiet luxury at speed, even though you're not shopping for a car, even though you're not shopping for Rolls-Royce right now. And that's intent-based brand response. So I hope this whistle-stop tour of brand advertising on digital has helped you think about how you're gonna improve not just the reach of your brand, but the depth of love that people have for your brand. Don't just settle for impressions. Don't settle for, you know, people seeing reps of your company. We can do better than this. Anytime you see some horses galloping through water, you want to react against that stuff strongly. It's garbage. It's untracked nonsense. Focus on the messages. Focus on the things that will make people love your brand and you'll grow faster than your competitors. Until next time, see you soon.